You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. I am Garrett Ashley Mullet, your intrepid host. Today is May 7th, 2021. It is a Friday. This is episode 112 overall and episode 47 of season three. Today we're going to talk about some comments that Frank Luntz, Republican pollster, made recently to the New York Times regarding President Trump, former President Donald John Trump's social media bans. But before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about Our Oriental Heritage, Volume 1 of The Story of Civilization by Will Durant. Will Durant. You say potato, I say potato. Potato, 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 potato. Let's call the whole thing off. So I just finished this one yesterday. It's 50 hours and 17 minutes long. And it took a while. I started it back in January, and it is now, if you're keeping track, if you were listening at the outset of this episode, it is now May. And so it took a while to get through it, but sure enough, I did. And there were some things that I didn't particularly care for in the way that Durant editorializes history in his analysis of various cultures. I didn't particularly care for his characterization of biblical history, of the Old Testament, of Christianity. It seemed as though he was always choosing to de-emphasize where he could, and he would give begrudging um, credit for the influence of Judaism and Christianity in the development of world history. He did give, actually, pretty high praise for somebody who is apparently not a Christian was not a Christian. He gave some high praise for the authenticity of biblical history by saying at one point that as much archaeology as we've done and studying other texts to verify the things that are said in the Bible and biblical history and Old Testament history, we have to give the biblical history, the biblical historical account, credit for being highly accurate. Now, he doesn't credit biblical history with being original or infallible, inerrant. He doesn't credit it with being God's word. He obviously is not into supernatural stories. He doesn't think that there is such a thing as supernatural. He thinks it's all material. So that's not terribly surprising, but given the fact that he is a materialist, and that he does not come from a Christian worldview, does not accept the Christian worldview and biblical history as true totally. He has a kind of Jeffersonian approach where instead of necessarily elevating the moral philosophy of the Old and New Testament, he is giving credit begrudgingly to the historical accuracy of what is described, the characters, the events, people, places, and things in biblical history. But other than that, he talks about Sumeria, Egypt, Babylon, 
talks about the Persians and India, China, Japan. And he spends this volume of the story of civilization, which is, I believe, 11 books long, over 130,000 pages if you buy it as a boxed set from Amazon. Even just the Kindle version of the whole series is $100, if you can believe it, if that gives you some kind of an idea. But he gives a lot of credit for world history to the Orient, to the Middle East and to East Asia, and essentially puts Asia and the Middle East on a pedestal and says that this is where civilization really started. Now that's true historically, as far as we can tell, that civilization developed first and most profoundly in the river valleys of Mesopotamia, the Indian subcontinent, China. Civilization is oldest in what we recognize as a developed form in those places. Europe seems to be a afterthought. It developed much later. And even when it overtook Asia and the Middle East in terms of technology and organization power at the end of the day, Durant still gives credit for the better culture, the higher culture, the greater refinement to the Middle East and to Asia. It kind of reminds me of all of the many stories throughout human history in every place of high cultures being invaded by what are conceived to be barbarian tribes. And those barbarian tribes, whether it's Mongolia or the Huns or the Goths or what have you, come in stronger from a military standpoint. They ride in hard and fast and they take some very soft people by surprise. While this people is refining their calligraphy and their silk tunic making and their statuary, that people over there has learned how to ride a horse and shoot a bow and arrow at the same time. They've learned how to launch the heads of their enemies over the city walls to terrify the populace, inventive ways of torturing people, to get the next city to surrender without a fight. But in the case of the modern West, Europe, we'll see how the series develops. I had considered not continuing on after our Oriental heritage. Initially, before I even started the book, I was thinking, boy, wouldn't it be something to read his entire series and be able to say that I had? I'd read from beginning to end the 11-part story of civilization. And then as I went along, and as I'm hearing him poo-poo Western civilization and Christianity and biblical history and give credit for the flood myth and various other facets of creation and whatnot in the Bible to other civilizations, basically saying, and I'm sure you've heard this before, saying that the biblical authors, the biblical writers... Uh, ancient Israel borrowed from the myths of the peoples around them that had a higher developed culture, had a more highly developed culture. That's a lot of nonsense in my view because 
what could be more accurate is that these things actually happened. God did create the earth in six days and rested on the seventh. He did at a certain point regret making man because the earth was filled with violence. He did send a global flood. These things actually happened. And so when Noah and his sons spread out and were fruitful and multiplied and filled the earth, wherever the descendants of Shem, Ham, and Japheth went, they brought some semblance of these original stories because this is what actually happened. Now, they might have changed the verbiage and the language and the details. Those things might have gotten adjusted at various points to suit some local ruler who wanted to emphasize certain things about his agenda in the heritage of the human race and to be able to take credit for things that he shouldn't have been able to take credit for because he was worshiping a false god and ascribing to that false god powers which would elevate his own authority in the eyes of the populace or surrounding nations. But the fact that there are similar themes in the mythology of ancient Mesopotamian cultures other than the Jews, other than the children of Israel, does not mean that the Jews and the children of Israel borrowed from everybody else. It could be that they're all talking about the same thing. It's eyewitnesses all describing the same event. And if their accounts differ, that doesn't mean that nothing happened. It doesn't mean that it's all made up. It doesn't mean that you just had trade and commerce and people are like, oh, that's a really great story. I think I'll tell it too. No, in my view, I believe these things actually happened. And the only reliable account of how they happened and what actually happened and what it means is found in the Bible. Let God be true and every man a liar. So I think I've come to terms with accepting that Will Durant, Pulitzer Prize winning writer, author, historian, philosopher, had his worldview and I disagree with it. And I know where I disagree with it and why I disagree with it. And I'm still going to finish out the series. I'm still going to listen to and read the whole story of civilization because there's a lot of interesting information, a lot of information well-organized, albeit with some editorializing that I don't particularly care for. So next up on the list, after our Oriental heritage, is The Life of Greece. I'm excited about that one. That should start delving more into Western civilization, specifically Greece is right on the edge of the Middle East and Asia, but Greece is where you start to see the West and Europe and then subsequently America rise to the fore of history. And of course, that's the tradition that I belong to. I'm not an Oriental, I'm an Occidental. I am a product of Western civilization, and Western civilization has been very greatly influenced by Christianity, which was very heavily uh, a product of the tradition and the values and really the story of God moving his people into the promised land, caring for the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, creating the human race, 
and shepherding his people through a lot of tumult. So we'll see how it goes. I'll keep you updated as we go along in the life of Greece. I'm sure there will be some interesting things there. But if you would like to keep up with what I'm reading, what I'm finishing reading, you can follow me on goodreads.com. I haven't ever mentioned it before on this podcast, but I've actually taken a liking to that platform as far as seeing what friends and family that are on there are reading, what they think. You can write a review of books that you have read, put a little star, uh, one to five star rating on the books that you've read if you don't feel like writing out uh, a longhand review. I haven't written quite so many reviews as I have ratings, and I'm reserving most of my commentary on what I'm reading for the podcast. So if you want to hear about what I think actually of the books that I'm reading, tune in here and I'll be talking about it regularly. But follow me on goodreads.com, check it out. And that's that. Now, as for the main topic I want to talk about in this episode, we turn to an article from May 6th, 2021. That is yesterday by Paul Shiver. Shiver? Sure. You say tomato, I say tomato. Tomato, 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 tomato. Let's call the whole thing off. That guy, P.S., writes for TheBlaze.com. Longtime Republican pollster and political strategist Frank Luntz slammed Donald Trump on Thursday, predicting his influence would quickly fade and arguing that the former president brought on the bans from various social media platforms by his own actions. Luntz made the remarks while speaking on the New York Times podcast, Sway, with host Kara Swisher just minutes after Facebook's oversight board upheld the platform's decision to restrict Trump's access following the January 6th riot at the United States Capitol. During the interview, the pollster claimed that Trump, though at the moment still influential, will never be able to affect politics in the same way given his lack of access to social media platforms such as Facebook and Twitter and his displacement from the Oval Office. Quote, he'll never engage in the way he did before because he simply doesn't have that capability, Luntz argued. He can't hop on Air Force One. He cannot dominate the news coverage. He can get a sliver of it, and he will continue to do so. He's not going away. That said, it just doesn't move people the way that it used to, he continued. And with every passing month, he'll become less and less relevant, end quote. Later in the interview, Luntz proclaimed that Donald Trump has no one but himself to blame regarding his indefinite removal from social media platforms. Quote, his behavior, his actions, his words led to all of this, Luntz argued, and he didn't understand that he was actually sowing the seeds of his own destruction, of his own impeachment by making it possible, I'm sorry, making it impossible for Republicans to govern around him. And he still doesn't understand it, but it's his own damn fault for the situation that he is in, end quote. Luntz then went on further back than the Capitol riot all the way to the lead up to 2020 presidential election to argue that Trump could have won back the presidency if he would have turned in a better first debate performance. Now, I actually agree with that as a side note. And it's his own damn fault just in his debate performance. In that first debate performance, he said, 
Trump's behavior at that debate was disgraceful. It was an embarrassment. And that was his behavior for so much of his presidency. He has a legitimate record to defend, a legitimate record of success, but his own demeanor ended up costing Republican seats in the House and in the Senate. End quote. Trump, who remains the most popular figure in the Republican Party, would almost certainly lead the field of 2024 presidential contenders should he choose to run again, though as time goes on, there is at least some evidence that his popularity is gradually falling. This week, in an effort to share his views and communicate with supporters amid the social media bans, the former president launched his own personal online message board. Okay, so that is the piece on theblaze.com. I'll include a link in the description for this podcast episode. You can go and check it out, read it for yourself, but I've just read the entire thing for you. Paul Shiver writes for The Blaze yesterday. So Frank Luntz, as a Republican pollster and political strategist, can have his opinion. There are some aspects of his opinion that I agree with. For instance, Trump's performance in that first presidential debate with Joe Biden was not a good look. I think Trump would have been doing much, much better if he had not interrupted Biden quite so much and given Biden cover for Biden's deplorable manners. Biden should have been allowed to hoist himself by his own petard. And I believe it was Sun Tzu who once said, never interrupt your enemy when he is making a mistake. Another way you could look at that is never interrupt your political opponent when he is saying something extremely stupid. When Biden trips over his own words and says things that are nonsense, that is the very best thing you could hope for when you interrupt him and it looks like he only tripped over his words because you kept interrupting him and then he gets a chance to tell you to shut up on live TV for the whole world to see a sitting president being told to shut up to his face. We all are the worse for it. That's embarrassing. That is shameful. It was shameful of Biden to tell Trump to shut up. And it was shameful of Trump to put himself in a position on live TV before the whole world, wherein a lot of people thought, yeah, he should shut up. Respectfully, Trump didn't know when to stop talking. And he would have been doing much better for all of us if he had been able to bite his tongue and control himself. But because he kept on, kept going, 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 swinging furiously, he piddled away an opportunity there for Republicans to shine, for the conservative platform, for the Make America Great Again message to look good, to look as good as it actually is. Negative association with Poor manners, lack of self-control, lack of self-discipline made that message look a lot worse than it actually is. Needlessly. It was totally unnecessary. It was a self-inflicted wound. But that said, none of that gives Frank Luntz's opinion regarding social media banning President Trump legitimacy. Social media banning the president of the United States of America, a sitting president, 
when he still was in office from being able to communicate with the American people, with the world, is shameful, disgraceful, dangerous. That kind of power should not belong to social media giants like Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg. It just shouldn't. We didn't vote for them. We didn't elect them. But now all of a sudden, they're pulling rank and they're saying, we are actually the leaders of the free world. Well, I didn't vote for you. A king, eh? I didn't vote for you. As Brian says in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. We didn't vote for Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg. Don't make some tortured argument about how we kind of did because we've been using these platforms. No, 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 no. I'm recording this podcast episode on a PC running Windows, Windows 10. That doesn't mean I voted for Bill Gates to make all my important life choices and to actually be the president of the United States. I wouldn't vote for him in a million years. There's a lot of platforms that we use, a lot of products and services that we use that we maybe have come to depend too much on in our modern world. And it doesn't mean that we have voted for Jeff Bezos over at Amazon to make all of our important life choices. It doesn't mean that just because you watch the NBA, you've actually decided LeBron James is your president. That's not the way it works. That's ridiculous. Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg should be ashamed of themselves for banning former President Donald Trump from the platform when he was actually the sitting president. Now, after he's left office, it's a little bit of a different story. But in the middle of an election, when he still is in office, rightfully elected, duly elected, it's not good. That's dangerous. Another additional problem here is that the bans, the social media bans, don't stop with Trump. They didn't start with Trump. Social media censoring conservative thought and forceful opposition to the progressive agenda. It didn't start with Trump. It's not limited to Trump. It won't stop with Trump. And Frank Luntz has basically just given political cover to these big tech giants to do the same thing that they did to Trump to anybody and everybody. He's cut the legs out from under the feet of Republican lawmakers, Republican governors, to hold these social media giants accountable. Now, I'm giving Frank Luntz too much credit, but he is a big name in political strategy. And so a lot of people are going to reference him and they're going to say, ah, well, Frank Luntz is saying X, Y, Z. Okay, well, Karl Rove said a lot too. They represent the Republican establishment. I have about as much fear and respect for Frank Luntz and Karl Rove as I would were this still Ulysses S. Grant's day and age. And we were talking about establishment Republicans, moderate Republicans who wanted to bury the hatchet with the KKK and Democrats over Reconstruction, who wanted to bring an end to this effort to not just emancipate black Americans, but enfranchise them fully, protect their rights, protect their property, protect their lives in the South where they were being harassed, lynched, terrorized, 
murdered. Moderate Republicans do not have a good track record in this country. They have a history of selling principled conservatives, principled Republicans down the river, making a deal with people that they really shouldn't have anything to do with, and in the process, betraying their constituents. Who was it that voted for you? Why did we vote for you? We didn't vote for you so that you could only show a fighting spirit when it comes to members of your own party and all of the things that your base supports, values. Frank Luntz blaming Trump for being banned from social media also tells me that the Republican establishment thinks it's your fault and my fault if all of our posts on Twitter and Facebook go through quote-unquote independent third-party fact-checkers before our friends and family see them. His tone was belligerent, yes. Trump's tone was rude very often. But he's also dealing with some very, very nasty, awful, vile, dishonest people. And when you're dealing with some very vile, dishonest, nasty people who make it their business to destroy anybody who gets in the way of the Democratic Party's agenda, are you supposed to deal with them with kid gloves? How has that worked for us so far? Are you supposed to be very polite and say, thank you, sir, may I have another, when they take one after another of your liberties and feed it into a wood chipper? Oh, it's still there. Everything we put into the wood chipper is still there on the other end. Well, yeah, but not like it was. It isn't what it was. You fed that log into the wood chipper, and now it's wood chips. Here, I was going to make some furniture out of it. I was going to build a house out of it. Can't quite do that with the wood chips the way I was going to if I could have sawn that into boards. It's not what it was. Republican establishment types like Frank Luntz really don't care as much about the future of this country, I'm convinced, as they do the future of their political prospects, their livelihood. Frank Luntz just made the news by going on the New York Times podcast. So Frank Luntz is now the story, and no doubt he's got people that are telling him that's what they want to hear, that's what they want to have messaged. This is a Ben Rhodes-type move, Republican-style. Ben Rhodes, former senior foreign policy official at the Obama White House, doing a similar type interview with regards to the Iranian nuclear deal. The Obama administration wanted to make a deal with Iran, and they put this message into our ears by feeding not true information, false information, to create impressions in the American public's mind that we had moderates now in Iran, and if we didn't move fast to make a deal with them, the situation might change. We might have hardliners again. They knew full well that that was a lie. They knew full well that they were misleading us. Those of us paying attention knew full well that they were lying to us and misleading us. And then after they accomplished the feat, Ben Rhodes goes on record as saying, oh yeah, we created an echo chamber of misinformation. Yeah, we totally did that. Yeah, we totally manipulated all of you 
Isn't it great? Aren't we clever? Well, he's a novelist by training and by background. He was put in that position in the Obama White House because he was good at creating fiction. And that's exactly what he did. He created fiction. So now Frank Luntz is the public relations guy. He's gunning for the dollars of Republican establishment candidate campaign funds. Hire me, hire my firm, hire my people, listen to what I have to say. He wants to be the next Karl Rove. He wants to be relevant. And he's placing his bet, and he's going to try and push his horse across the finish line just a little bit by saying, let's be all done with Trump, shall we? The establishment is ready to be done with Trump because Trump got after the Republican establishment, moderate Republicans, weak Republicans, as much as he got after the radical left and Democrats. He went after squishy Republicans, and he should have, because they are pretty well worthless. They are worse than useless, actually, because they seem as though they are with you, and then when the moment of decision comes, when the battle has begun, they might just as quickly flee the field as go over to the other side and start fighting for them. This is William Wallace trying to fight for Scottish independence against King Edward, and the nobles decide at a certain point that they're going to cut a deal with Edward to save their own necks, expand their own holdings, secure their own power, because Wallace is a problem for them too. They don't particularly like this lower-born knight having so much attention and power and influence in Scottish politics. So they quit the field. They conspire to betray Wallace and his men because Wallace has offended them. He's shamed them by his example, by his courage. The trouble there is that in the present, what does that do for us? How do we benefit from that knowledge, that historical insight? There's no new thing under the sun, as Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes. And so we know that those things that have happened before, that kind of a dynamic is still in play in our day. So long as you have people, it doesn't matter that we're Americans now and those were Scottish then, Scotland and England could just as easily be the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. But what do you do with that information? If you are the President of the United States and you know that the establishment forces in your own party who have been there for decades who know all the people, who have extensive networks, who have extensive business deals and arrangements with corporations, their family have lucrative positions at various corporations and firms contingent on you delivering legislation, policy, treaties. Trump comes in, he's upsetting the balance. He's upsetting the status quo. He's upsetting your business model. So maybe you cut a deal with the Democrats. Let's get this guy out of here. It's Uriah the Hittite. You know, the story of Uriah the Hittite is interesting because King David in the Old Testament doesn't get in trouble for taking additional wives. Did you notice that? 
that's not a story about polygamy. That is a story about adultery. It's a story about David and his faithful servant Uriah the Hittite, who's not even a Jew, by the way. He's a Hittite. <laughs> the Hittites were a pretty warlike people, and the text makes clear by calling him the Hittite that it's important that he is a Hittite. He's not just any old Jew. That's a mark against him. He's a foreigner. He's from a savage, warlike, barbarian people, and he faithfully serves his king, David. Uriah doesn't even want to go home during the campaign. He wants to stay in the field and fight, stay with his men. He feels guilty about getting to go home to be with his wife when his men are still out in the field. I got to get back to him. Well, David has slept with Uriah's wife, and so he wants Uriah to come home and spend some time with his wife so that when the child is born, it's plausible that it is Uriah's and nobody is the wiser that it is actually David's child. But it gets worse because David, when unsuccessful in getting Uriah to play along with this cover story, instructs that Uriah be put on the front lines where the fighting is the fiercest and then, once the battle is engaged, pull back everybody else and let Uriah get cut down by the enemy. Now then David's hands are clean. He doesn't have to send an assassin. He doesn't have to murder Uriah. He's not the one who killed Uriah. The enemy killed Uriah. Mm, no. No, in fact, David killed Uriah. Everyone who followed that order killed Uriah. So what gets David in trouble is not that he took multiple wives. He had multiple wives other than that, and God never rebukes him. The nation of Israel is never punished. David is never confronted by Nathaniel the prophet, Nathan the prophet. I'm sorry. But you don't have that confrontation, that rebuke, that call for repentance. You don't have those psalms of lament of repentance, of mourning coming out of David taking other wives, Solomon having 700 wives and 300 concubines. No, no, it happens when David does a very unscrupulous, dishonest thing. He takes Uriah's wife and then has Uriah murdered. So also in this situation with Republican establishment types, they do these deals Wherein, when somebody becomes a liability, put them on the front line where the fighting is the fiercest and then pull back and let them get cut down. We didn't kill them. This is their own damn fault, as Frank Luntz is saying. We didn't kill them. They did this to themselves. They should have been paying closer attention. All the while, behind the scenes, in the background, that Republican establishment was winking and nodding at the Democrats. You got this. I'm fairly persuaded even the Capitol riot, so-called, was let's leave the doors unlocked. Let's usher a certain amount of these protesters in. Once they get in there, we've got Antifa and Black Lives Matter activists who've infiltrated the crowd. It's the Boston Tea Party. The Boston Tea Party, what did the guys throwing the tea into the harbor dress up like? They dressed up like Indians. Shocker. 
You know, in Welsh history, I learned this last weekend as I was reading, or rather watching, the story of Wales on Curiosity Stream. There was a tradition that if a man beat his wife, the way he would be dealt with by the other men of the community is that those men would dress up like women and they would go and seize that man who had beat his wife and they would proceed to mete out justice to him. They would take him in hand and beat him right back. Now, I don't know how that tradition started. It seemed that the makers of the series didn't know either, but it's a funny thing because, of course, guys with beards dressed up like ladies, they're not fooling anybody. You know exactly who they are, but it's symbolic. We're letting everybody know you can't do that. The Republican establishment has a long-time arrangement like professional wrestling, right? We throw these punches, but we pull them. We talk big, get all roided out, pump iron to look really muscular and strong. We're going to make it look as convincing as we possibly can. But all the while, the winner has been decided ahead of time. This is just a show. This is theater. The script is here. Read your part. Read your lines. At this point, you're going to fall and we'll sell a lot of merchandise. That's what this is too. So one final thought regarding this piece from The Blaze. Trump launched this social media platform, so-called, and I'm not trying to pile on in criticizing him, but I knew from the very first press release about it that it was not going to succeed. Because what they were doing, what they chose to do, his team, I'm sure he was advised to this effect, they chose to make it a one-way messaging service. Not a competitor to Facebook, not a competitor to Twitter, not a replacement for Parler, which has caved to big tech, it looks like. Not a replacement for social media, really. He's not joining MeWe. They chose to make it a one-way street. He speaks, and you can sign up for alerts. Well, that's not new. The reasoning behind this was that as soon as you allow comments and people to be posting on there back and forth, then Trump can be gone after by big tech if he doesn't regulate the comments. Ah, there it is. So they have us. It is as I suspected. They have us. You don't get to talk back. He was right that they weren't after him. They were after us, and he was just standing between us and them. They hated him because they hate us, and we voted for him because he was saying the things that we think and say amongst ourselves. Yeah, we should build a wall on our southern border. Yeah, we should control who comes into our country and get to decide that. Are they good types? If they are, cool. If not, no. And no means no. China is controlling our corporations now, pulling strings, yanking their chains, using our corporations to control us. We're becoming a vassal state. We're being sold out. Trump was standing up to that because we wanted Trump to stand up to that. We needed Trump to stand up to that. Now that's xenophobia. 
Now that's racism. And now if you have a social media presence and you say those kinds of things, they can delete you. And so he was listening to bad advice and deciding that this is not going to be a conversation anymore. It's going to be a one-way street. And Facebook upholding the ban, Twitter removing a new account created to broadcast content from his new social media, quote-unquote, so-called social media platform was entirely predictable. Of course they were going to do that. And because you flinched, now they look strong and you look weak. So maybe it is for the best that he's off the stage, but it doesn't mean that the trouble is over and it doesn't mean that these Republican establishment types deserve our respect and our trust. We'll see what happens. Ultimately, God is still on his throne and God will decide who our authorities are. I'm sad to say that part of how he decides who our rulers are is based on our prayers, based on our own conduct. We do have a representative form of government, even if we have a tyrannical vassalage condition with China, even if we're ruled by Bernie bros and AOCs, even if we're ruled by big tech oligarchs like Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg, whether we voted for them or not, at a certain point it becomes representative government because this represents who we are now as a people. Feckless, weak, manipulated, lied to, marginalized, sold out. We'll see what comes of it. Trust in God, don't trust in princes. Mind your own business and think carefully and pray that God would show you what is your business. He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God, as Micah 6.8 says. With that, thank you for listening. As always, until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.